The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For the Secret Church One study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC1. And this is Secret Church One, episode three. So the sovereignty of God, the sinfulness of man. Uh, if, you'll, if you're going to be here on uh, Sunday... We're going to dive into Genesis chapter 3 and really study that in depth. An incredible passage of God's, of God's sovereignty, man's sinfulness, but this third element, the promise of redemption. The promise of redemption. The beautiful thing is, in the very beginning of the Bible, within the first three chapters, you see all of those on just a mammoth scale. Get a hold of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You got a hold of much of what the New Testament teaches us about who God is, about who Christ is, because Christ, believe it or not, is, is seen there in Genesis chapter 3. The promise of redemption, the sinfulness of man. Okay, I'm starting to preach my sermon for Sunday. Let's move on. Uh, catch hold not only the major themes, but the major plot. This is not two minutes on Genesis, is it? Okay, uh, major plot, God's gracious election of Abraham's family. Now that word makes some of you cringe a little bit, election. Of God's family. Oh, no. You're bringing Calvinism into the Old Testament. Well, Calvin came much later, okay? Much later after this picture. But there is, there is a picture of Abraham not doing anything to earn or merit a God calling him, pouring out his affection on him. God is electing him by grace. God is pouring out his grace, choosing to pour out his grace on Abraham. Now, you hang with me, and we'll get to some other parts of this later on in the Old Testament, okay? But God is graciously electing him, and you see that over and over again throughout his line. Abraham, and you got Isaac, and you got Jacob. How about Jacob and Esau? One chosen by God, the other not. How does this work? God's grace being poured out. Okay, just hang with me on that, okay? Then you got Joseph. All throughout, it's God's gracious election of Abraham's family. He is choosing to pour out his affection on his people. The, the ultimate truth here, that regardless of what you might think about Calvinism all the way across this room, praise God that he has chosen to show his affection to you and me. We did not earn it. We did not deserve it. We have not merited it. And not one of us deserves to be in this room tonight. However, God in his grace has chosen to pour out his love and mercy on us. And for that, he is worthy of all of our praise. So, the Old Testament is good. All right. Some minor subplots that we're going to see unfold in Genesis. Already looking to Christ. I mentioned that, 315. Sacrifice, remember Abraham and his son Isaac, the sacrifice in Genesis chapter 2, 22, a picture of what Christ, who Christ is. 35, 11 through 13, 49, 8 through 12. You look at those two passages, and what you see is it's a promise that's given to Jacob that kings are going to come from his line. Jacob at the end, when, when, when uh, he's blessing his sons, and he says to Judah, he says, through you, there's one who will come. Look at this. you got to see it. Genesis chapter 49. Okay. We're, I know we're going to move on in just a second to Exodus. Uh, but I want you to see this. Look at Genesis chapter 49. What happens is uh, Jacob is blessing his sons, and he says something to each different one of them. I want you to look at what he says to Judah. Look at what happens in Genesis chapter 49, verse 9. He says to Judah, 
You are a lion's club, O Judah. Cub, O Judah. <laughs> you return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. That's good. Did you catch that? New Testament. Jesus is known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah until the scepter, the rule, the authority comes to him to whom it belongs. It belongs to him, and the obedience of the nations will be his. So you got this picture, looking to Christ. Another minor subplot, covenants. I say minor subplot. That's not minor. Covenants is huge throughout, but you're seeing it unfold for the first time with Noah, a covenant with him. Even Adam, though it's not called a covenant, you've got a covenant. What a covenant basically means is a, a contractual agreement. Almost like I picture covenants as mainly like marriage ceremonies, marriage commitments. You unite your life and you commit your life to each other. And that's the picture we're seeing unfold, what God does with Adam, what God does with Mo- Noah, and then what God does with Abraham. Also notice that there are major flaws and main characters throughout the book of Genesis. And this is where we learn. Now, don't miss this. This is where we learn very early on in the Old Testament that these people were not given us, the stories of real people were not given to us so we would emulate them. Now, I'm not saying that there are some, not some good qualities along the way that we're going to learn from guys in the Old Testament. There certainly are. But nobody wants to live like Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. Jacob the deceiver. Nobody wants to live like Moses. He missed out on the promised land because of his disobedience. Nobody wants to live like David. Well, he was a man after his own heart. Yeah, yeah, he was. And God gives us a picture of that for a reason. But nobody in here is called to emulate David, to imitate David with our lives. It's all pointing to one character. And so we're seeing some major character flaws at the very beginning for a reason because it shows us, it shows us the insufficiency of man and it shows us the sufficiency of God because his purpose and his promises are going to continue even despite major flaws. Isn't it good to know that God works in spite of our weaknesses and that the, the success of the church of Brook Hills, praise the Lord, is not dependent on the character, lack of character flaws in a pastor. That is great encouragement to know that God is faithful and he will accomplish his purpose even through our weaknesses. I'm preaching like sermons on each of these. I got to move on. Don't forget, Genesis was not written to answer every question we may have about these events. Let me say that one more time. Genesis was not written to answer every question we may have about these events. Well, what about evolution? What about dinosaurs? There's all kinds of questions that you can come up with that are not answered in the book of Genesis. I'm not saying they're not good questions, they're not important questions, but they're not answered. So we don't need to try to make an answer. Well, this animal must have been the dinosaur. That's not necessary. God has given us his revelation to give us what we need to know him, to know his character, to be in a relationship with him. That's the purpose of the Bible, not to answer every question we may have. Even the idea of evolution. Well, is, a, is it a, people say, theistic evolution? Is it God creating through a process of evolution? Is it, is it 
days as in 24-hour days or is it a day with you, God, is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day? How long was the day? Did it all happen in one day? How does that square with science? The answers are not all over the book of Genesis, but, but we can know this. There's absolutely nothing that unfolds in Scripture that in the end ultimately is going to contradict what we know from observing science. Nothing. And we can, we, it's, not that it's not important to think through some of those issues. We can think through some of those issues. We need to. But to think, even, even the idea of evolution or God creating through a process of evolution misses out on some of the things that we do know. Evolution is built on random chance, and we know that there is nothing random about what's going on behind the activity of a sovereign God in the book of Genesis. Evolution is built on this idea that we, over a process of time, went from this sort of species to another sort of species, and that completely contradicts what we do know in Genesis. It talks about man being created unique in the image of God, unlike any other part of his creation. So focus on what we do know. Leave some of the room open for what we don't know. Don't try to answer every question in the world based on what we see that unfold there. Okay, that's, that's the book of Genesis. All right, moving on to book number two. Um, <laughs> it's too good. I'm telling you, it's too good. When I turned this in, Gene was like, not going to happen. So we're going to do our best, okay? Exodus, Exodus, primary information for starters. <laughs> literally means, Exodus literally means departure, departure. God is all-powerful and mighty to save. That's the picture that unfolds in the first half of the book of Exodus, Exodus 1 through 19. Remember the history behind this thing. God's people in slavery in Egypt at the beginning. Moses, risen up as the leader of God's people, and they depart from slavery out of Egypt into, to, to, up to Sinai and then to wander around for a while. That's where it's going. So it's a departure from slavery. Second half of the book, focusing on how God is faithful to his covenant. That's when God gives his people in chapter 20 the what? Ten commandments right there in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 through 17. You see the ten commandments unfold. God gives his people the law, establishes his covenant, the Mosaic covenant. We saw Abraham in covenant with God, Noah in covenant with God, Adam in covenant with God. Now that covenant is transferred over to Moses and the people of God as they're brought out. So that's some primary information, the picture of Exodus. Literally means this is the story of how God's people came out, out of slavery into, this, this, into Sinai and the place where they established their covenant with God. Practical advice for study. Notice three defining moments in Israel's history. Number one, the deliverance from slavery. Number two, the significance of God's presence. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that more later on in the evening. But the significance of God's presence, because God established his presence through his people, to his, with his people through something called the tabernacle. We'll dive into that later. But the terms of the covenant, number three. How basically a covenant, the covenant that unfolds in Exodus is, is God's commitment to his people and his description of how they will relate to him and walk with him and enjoy him. Just like he had said to Adam and Eve, walk with me and enjoy me. Don't do this. Don't eat from this tree. Now he's saying, here's what you do, here's what you don't do. As you walk with me, it's a covenant, that contractual agreement, that commitment to each other like a marriage. So the terms of the covenant, key chapters, two main chapters, Exodus chapter 12, which is the sacrifice of the lamb that makes the deliverance from slavery possible. The sacrifice of the lamb is huge. The Passover, Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 20, which we mentioned just a second ago, the giving of the law. So the sacrifice of the land and the giving of the law, or the Ten Commandments. 
Those are two pivotal chapters. When you, when you come to Exodus, really camp out on those two chapters and really dive into what those mean. Key places, Egypt, you can look at your map there. Egypt, as they go from Egypt across the Red Sea, as God parts the Red Sea, and then come to Mount Sinai. And that's where God establishes covenant. Mount Sinai is a very important place in the book of Exodus. Here, and this is where we're going to come back to that whole, that whole grace of selection of, Israel, uh, of Abraham, God choosing to pour out his grace on people. How does God's sovereignty work? When you read Exodus, I want you to look for both the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. They're both there. When God is bringing his people out of Egypt and, and Pharaoh is fighting against that, there are times where it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And that makes us wonder, well, what in the world? God does that to people? But at the same time, there are ten times where it says that. There are also ten times where it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. What we're seeing set up here, and I wanted to give you those verses because this is becoming a big issue in the church today. How does, how does God's election work or sovereignty work with man's responsibility? Do we have choice? I want you to see they're both unfolding in Scripture from the very beginning. And say, well, how do you reconcile those two together? Well, you don't reconcile two friends. You don't have to reconcile friends. They go together. How they go together? That's a great question. It's a great question. But the important thing is to see that God's sovereignty and man's responsibility aren't going against each other. They work together in this picture. That's what's unfolding there in the book of Exodus. Here's the deal. If we don't understand Exodus, we will never understand the New Testament. If we don't understand Exodus, we'll never understand the New Testament. When Jesus comes on the scene and John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that seems weird if you don't know Exodus. It doesn't make sense. Greatest religious teacher in the history of the world, and they're calling him a lamb. What does that mean? Well, in order to understand that, you've got to know Exodus. So, know Exodus, know the New Testament. Next book, Leviticus. Primary information. Now, they've led, they've brought, been brought to Mount Sinai. That's where this takes place, the book of Leviticus. It's referred to as the law of the priests, the Levites. Literally means pertaining to the Levites, the law of the priests. The Levites were the members of, of, of Aaron's family who were responsible for helping the priests in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was how God dwelt among his people, and the priests were the intermediaries between God and his people. That's what it meant to be a priest, which we'll talk about more. That's a rich picture, which we'll dive into. But basically, this is a book primarily about holiness. Over 90 times, holiness, be holy. This is holy. I'm holy. It's mentioned 90 times. That's over and over again in the book of Leviticus. It's also a book about sacrifice. It's a book about sacrifice. Because in order to come before a holy God, there had to be a sacrifice to make the way for that to happen. In order for sinful man who is not holy to approach a holy God, what we're seeing set up in Leviticus is the necessity of sacrifice. And that's huge. See how this is important. Two main sections as you study it. First, first half, 1 through 17, is talking about fellowship, walking with God through, through ritual offerings. It's talking about the offerings that, that the people of God were to do. And it, it designates different times where the people of God were supposed to give this offering or this offering at different points of the year to celebrate this. And then the, the last part, 18 through 27, talks about walking with God through righteous living. That it's not just about giving your offerings. It's about walking with God and obeying him. There's a lot of meaning there. 
for, for us today. It's not just about bringing your songs. It's about giving your lives. It's not just about rituals that we do in our church culture. It's about, it's about walking with God on a daily basis. Leviticus has meaning for us today. One main chapter, Leviticus chapter 16, known as the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Atone literally means to cover. That word is used 45 times in the book. That means it's important. That because of our sin, somehow that sin has to be covered. And it's covered in this day of atonement, day of covering. What happens is you've got two necessary elements on the day of atonement. Number one is a bold priest. A bold priest. And by that I mean the, the high priest would go into the presence of God at this designated time, the guy would have to wear bells so that when he was walking, you could hear it. So that when he went into the presence of God, everybody standing outside would listen real closely to make sure the guy was still moving, make sure he hadn't been struck down in the presence of God. Can you imagine the tension of that scene? When we send Larry Herndon into there and, <laughs> and he's got bells on and we're just listening, is Larry Okay. That's the picture. The, the, a bold priest come into the presence of God. And second, a blood sacrifice. A blood sacrifice. Because in order to cover over the sins, there had to be a blood sacrifice. Don't miss the practical application here. Please don't miss it. See how significant Leviticus is. Number one, God is holy. Leviticus teaches us that if we're going to bring something to God, it better be worthy of bringing it to God. He is holy. The implications here are profound. You don't bring junk. You don't bring trash. You don't bring second best. And you don't bring that which costs you nothing into the presence of God. You don't offer him meaningless sacrifices. He's holy. He deserves much more than that. It's a worthy sacrifice. Second, sin is serious. Leviticus teaches us that sin before God is very costly. And worship is expensive. Sin is serious. And then finally, God is gracious. When you take those two, first two together, God is holy and sin is serious. It's not a good picture. However, you get to that third truth and you see God providing to atone and cover for people's sins. Then it begins to unfold what God has done in each of our lives. Christ has paid a high price on a cross, a high price to cover over our sins. If, if we want to understand the price of the cross, we've got to study the book of Leviticus. If the cross doesn't mean anything to us, then we can leave Leviticus alone. If the cross is the center of our faith, then we've got to study the book of Leviticus to see how important it was. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.